Hey guys, we are back for another episode on the Walking Closer podcast. And on this episode, we are going to look at how we have turned the gospel into a system of sin management and why that doesn't work. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. We're all formed by our life experiences, but sometimes these experiences shape us in negative ways. And the process of spiritual transformation can help undo those negative impacts so we can live life to the fullest. And walking closer is all about this journey through internal transformation where real changes happen from the inside out. So in chapter 2 of The Divine Conspiracy, it's titled Gospels of Sin Management. And this is an idea that I, I can relate to personally because it describes a good portion of my life uh, until my thinking began to change. See, for the longest time, faith really only had to do with forgiveness. So as long as I had faith, I had forgiveness, plain and simple. There's really nothing else. There was no addressing my character, my heart. And in fact, it seemed that the only way Jesus addressed the human condition was, well, through forgiveness. And that was it. There was nothing else except other than, you know, following all the rules that were in place to remain in good graces of whatever church affiliation you had. But but I have to say that I, I didn't receive anything that helped to address what I knew to be on the inside of me. I, I, I wasn't changing. I, I, I was doing everything I was told in the way I was told, and I wasn't changing. E- even simply trusting that I was forgiven if I messed up didn't make me feel any better. Like something was missing and I I knew it. I I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to change. I mean even at one point I I had an older gentleman who was a a mentor of sorts, probably more like an accountability partner who was was helping me work through some things. And I remember telling him after maybe about a year and a half of him walking with me that there has to be more than just be me checking in with you. I, I knew things weren't changing on the inside. And, and because of that, I, I would continue to struggle. Like Things weren't going to get better for me. And he actually didn't have much of a response to that at all. See, I knew there had to be more because I could look at the fruit. And, and it was telling me a lot about this approach. And I was tired of being miserable. In fact, the passage when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are tired and beat down, and I will give you rest. Like, that was me, tired and beat down. And yet I was someone who claimed to be a Christian. Like, the person I was on the inside, the self that was formed and shaped away from God, the self that was not aligned with the heart of God, that was the source of my misery. And for the longest time, I had nothing to address it. In fact, for the longest time, I was even unaware that it was something to even be addressed. Almost like it didn't exist. Like I might have been aware of some things, like I might have called those quirks, but I just assumed they would work themselves out over time. And the main goal of, of being a Christian, I guess, was just maintaining your faith in God. In fact, my favorite subject for the longest time was apologetics, which addresses the evidences of the existence of God. I couldn't get enough of it. I could listen to hours of audio tapes on this stuff and really 
walk away feeling better about myself, at least for a time. And I did this for a while, but there was nothing in there that addressed the condition of my heart. You might argue that there was something in it all that, that addressed the human condition, but I guess it was just, I would say it was, yeah, it, but it was fear. See, if there was, if there was a God, then you better act right or do all the right things to please him or his wrath would come down upon you. And I can tell you right now that that, that didn't work. Fear was a motivating factor to only, I guess, outwardly do the right thing. Like it didn't address the heart and I couldn't make it address the heart. And so out of fear, I continued to outwardly try and do the right things. I, I did what I was supposed to do, like, like a good Christian. But again, look at the fruit. I was still miserable on the inside. And Willard talks about this in chapter 2 of the Divine Conspiracy. And he uses an example he called the barcode faith. So like in stores, every item has a barcode, and that barcode is listed in the system to identify the product and the price. And when you go to purchase the item, the barcode is scanned, and you are charged based on the price that comes up. Now, here's the thing. The scanner only responds to the barcode, and it doesn't care what's inside the package or if the right barcode is even on the right package. And in the same way, this is like what we've turned the gospel into. Faith is the barcode, and it doesn't matter what's on the inside. And with this, Dallas asked a series of questions in relation to this that I, I think are important to think on. He said, would, would God really do it this way? Do we actually think God would establish a plan to address the human condition in this present life without addressing the human character? And so then, Jesus gave us nothing to help us with our current problems and only address the death and afterlife? Like, is this what we take away from the Bible? And to that, I have to say, yeah, that's exactly how I was trained to read and interpret the Bible. But for me, regardless of how I was trained, it couldn't remove this nagging reality that something was missing. Regardless of, of what you choose to focus on in the biblical text, you, you, you can't escape the fact that Jesus addressed the matters of the heart. And I guess I just assumed that because I believed in Jesus and did what I was told to do, that somehow my heart would change. But it didn't. Like I, I had seen enough in my life, dealt with enough in my life to know I needed something more to address what was going on with me. I didn't even have a taste of the abundant life, but I wanted it. And, and I think we can, we can all look around and acknowledge the same reality. Like we see it everywhere. In fact, there is a ton of research put out by the Barna Group, which is a research and resource company that, quote-unquote, surveys the intersection of faith and culture. And they have 30 years worth of research and statistics that tell us a lot about the state of the church and Christians in our culture. You know, over the years. And one survey from 2006 reported by Christian Today, which I'll, I'll link in the description, indicated that there was little difference between Christians and non-Christians when it came to lifestyles, values, and etc. In fact, I will list several resources from the Barnard Institute that point out the fact that oftentimes there's not a lot of difference between Christian and non-Christians. 
And Willard points this out when he said that we can look at statistics like these and see the writing on the wall. Like, it's pretty obvious this is not describing the abundant life Jesus talked about. And it demonstrates the fact that we might have missed something. Like, we may have missed the relevant and practical nature of Jesus' teachings. And again, Dallas presents another set of questions that are important to consider on this point. Like, does this sound like the abundant life Jesus talked about? Does God not give us something to influence character? Does Jesus not have a real impact on our real lives? Are we not eating what we are selling? Or is what we are selling irrelevant to our real existence and without power over our daily life? Look at the fruit. You see, I think all of this is pointing to something. It tells us something about the true state of affairs within those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus and what we have made of it all. Again, just look at the fruit. It's the the reason we have so many internal issues within the church. And when I, I see what we have reduced following Jesus to, I'm really not surprised when some big name church leader falls from grace because of whatever issue, some moral failure. And of course, you have all the sex scandals among the Catholic Church, and everyone knows about them because, well, the Catholic Church is one massive singular organization who remains in the spotlight. But there are just as many sex scandals among churches in general. But they just fly under the radar because, well, many of the churches are smaller. The, the scandals might be known locally or maybe statewide at times, but for the most part, they remain out of the national spotlight. In fact, there's an organization that specializes in the investigations of sexual abuse, and it's called Grace. And its founder stated that evangelicals are worse than Catholics on sexual abuse. And I'll link the organization's website and an article released by Christian Century about this in the description. It's very eye-opening. Literally, all you have to do is a Google search, and there are plenty of examples. Like the most recent has been all the things that surfaced with Ravi Zachariah, who was a world-famous apologist, right? He, he passed away not long ago, and some things before his passing had begun to surface, uh, but they were essentially shrugged off. Now, after his passing, though, there was an internal investigation, and evidently he was Let's say heavily involved in sexual misconduct at massage parlors, among other things. Again, I'll link an article about it in the description as well. But what I, I found to be most interesting is the way some other Christian leaders have responded to this. Now, some people just completely shunned the guy and anything good he ever did. And that's what we do as humans, right? We, we don't remember all the home runs. We remember the strikeouts. And now I agree that... What he did was, was horrible, and those people he negatively impacted, my goodness, he, he was a part of the problem and not the solution. But he was an apologist, and he argued for the existence of God. Now, you can maybe argue uh, whether the guy actually believed anything he said about God. However, when you consider how God and faith in God has been divorced from relevant and practical transformation of character, is it really that hard to believe things like this would happen? Again, this is the fruit of what we have turned the gospel into, period. And I actually know people, myself, like pastors and ministers who had an immense ability to display their biblical expertise, but 
They didn't see or make the connection to the heart. And as a result, they began to, well, themselves be involved in some things that would basically feed into this whole Christian narrative about you know, Christian hypocrisy and why people want nothing to do with the church. And then the church just simply responds by saying, well, we never claim to be perfect. But then it doesn't give any real attention to the cause. Like it, it's, it's like we don't see the need to really get to the root of why this is happening. See, transformation, transformation is the name of the game here. Like it's the process of repentance, of dying to self, of being born again, of or born from above. Now, some might say, you know, don't don't underestimate the power of forgiveness. Well, into that, I, I I say I don't. But simply saying that it's all about forgiveness hasn't led to real discipleship and transformation to to being Christ-like. I can't just look at the fruit. And once again, Dallas asks a question that is helpful in thinking this through. He says, what if we begin to think that our failures are not in spite of what we are doing, but because of what we are doing? You see, I think think we need to come to terms with our failures and all this. We, We need to take a look at the fruit that comes from what we are doing. And you might be able to get a lot of people in a building. You might be able to grow a church into maybe even multiple campuses. You might be able to get a lot of people to claim Jesus as Lord even. But are people actually becoming disciples of Jesus? Like, are we seeing the fruit that comes from the transformation of the heart? Just look at the fruit. And I think these things are really important to consider and they deserve our attention. All right, so there it is, episode 111, taking a look at the fruit. Of course, I will leave all the articles and research I have mentioned uh, down in the description for your research. Um, And I'll tell you that the next episode will be uploaded in another two weeks. I am really busy right now. Um, You may not realize this, but I am a minister of a church, and we have lots of things going on. We're trying to come out of this pandemic, and uh, that is taking a lot of my time, a lot of effort, because we're trying to be very strategic about things. And on top of all that, we have other big projects in the works, which uh, just means lots of meetings. So I had to push these episodes out from every week to every other week. But my plan is to continue to share with you some nuggets from the Divine Conspiracy. And on the next episode, we are going to dive into Chapter 3. Um, and I know <laughs> I've taken several weeks to get through chapter one. Today we dealt with chapter two, and I have committed the next seven episodes to covering the remaining chapters. And so one episode per chapter. And I just have to do this because if I don't, I will never move past this book. I find so much richness in this work. I get so much out of it, and I encourage you to pick up your own copy and read it for yourself. Okay, that's all I have for this time. Grace and peace, and I will talk to you soon.